Everybody say God's way versus the way of the flesh versus man's way, you know. So interchangeably, we all say man's way, the way of the flesh, man's way, human nature throughout the teaching. But basically, it is God's way versus the way of the flesh or our own way or man's way. Praise the Lord. Okay, so to open up um, this ninth um, discussion, um, who can tell us what do you understand by God's way. When you hear God's way, what comes to mind? What comes to mind? Remember Tribe's interactive session? We're all here to learn. I'm here to learn as well, you know. So, um, who's going to go? What do you understand by God's way? You've not seen my notes. What God told me might be different from what God is saying to you. So, please tell us what God is saying to you. What do you understand by God's way? Who wants to go? <laughs> No, not a baby. Who wants to go? What do you understand by God's way? Okay, there's someone over there, please. The mic, someone over here. The lady on blue, right? Keep walking, yes. Thank you. Oh, I thought she... Yeah, thank you. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It has to do with God's mandates, God's principles. His laws, his rules, his precepts, you know, like the day-to-day guide on how you should walk with God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. We already have teachers. Let's clap for her. She's already teaching us. And I believe there are many more teachers here. So who else wants to go? One more person. What do you understand? Okay, thank you very much. Good evening. Good evening. Um, I would say God's will, more particularly God's strategy. That's what I think that means. Thank you very much. Let's clap for us as well. Let's... Those answers were not in my notes, so thank you. Like I said, we'll, we'll, we'll all learn from, from, from each other. And that's, that's true. God's way can be his mandate, his strategy, his will, his direction, and, and so on and so forth. We have um, a lot of ways that we outlined um, for today's teaching, but it's inexhaustive because God's ways. It's abundant. It's, it's a whole lot. So we've picked out about 12 of them that we'll talk about. And somewhere along um, the teaching, you realize that there are even many more that we know as a people. The, the essence of this teaching is for us to get us to reflect on God's way in, in comparison to our own way. And to make corrections where necessary. Because the fact is that even children have been taught to know God's way, at least to a certain extent. But the, the, point, the, the, the question now is, in relation to how we live our lives, how are we applying or connecting to God's way? So the essence of this teaching is to help us identify, make corrections, and God will help us in Jesus' name. Okay, so now you've told us, the two people that told us, are, I mean, God's way, how easy is it for you, so let's start from you, to follow that God's way, based on your de- definition. How is it, for, is it for you to follow God's way? Well, um, I wouldn't say it's easy. I wouldn't say it's uh, difficult. Personally, you have to have an understanding of God's 
you have to you have to have an understanding of who God is, and you have to have the Holy Spirit for you to know that. I mean, you you can have different options, and you won't know which is God's will or God's way. You know, if you do not know Him, but if you know Him, you will know which way or which option or whatever it is. So for me, it's it's a process. I wouldn't say it's easy or difficult. It's, I'm still in the process. You're of, still in the process. Yes. And God will help you Amen. constantly follow his way in Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry, Mark, can you help us, please? Like she rightly said, for you to walk with God, you need to understand who God is. And he has to be a step at the time from being a baby to being an adult. So it's not a dating and as you grow gradually, the Holy Spirit works with you. You begin to design and you hear God. But like I said, it's not easy. It's not it's easy. It's a step-by-step thing. Praise Thank the you. Lord. Thank you very much. And that's the fact. It, following God's way is, is tough. It's tough being a true Christian. The Holy Spirit gives um, grace to make it easy for us. But to follow God's way and stay in the way of God is tough. I mean, who says it's very easy? You know, I just wake up in the morning and I get cool. Let's, let's, you know, identify you tonight and then um, <clears throat> God will help you in Jesus' name. So it's not really, um, it's not easy, but the Holy Spirit gives us um, grace. So let's go back to the start, to the beginning. We're going to be looking at a few scriptures. If I have a whole lot of scriptures, we have a whole lot of scriptures here tonight. It's Bible study after all. The ones we cannot read, um, we implore you to. Please take it back home and do your own study. Do your own study. And, you know, we encourage in God's house to do collaborative Bible study. So find someone, share notes with, and God will bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, Genesis 1, we read from 26 to 31, and we skip to Genesis 2, we read from 7 to 9. It's on the screen. So then, the Lord, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures and that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, and in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful. Everybody say, Be fruitful. And increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the earth, on, of the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Genesis 2. Okay, from verse 7. And the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man 
he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to walk it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to man. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. And you see, from this scripture alone, you can see that God's way, I mean, God has many things he wanted man to do. Very many things he wanted man to do. He was giving God instructions, this, do this, this is how you should tend to. But ultimately, from this scripture, we, we see a general blueprint of what God expected of Adam or man under the circumstances. And what God expected was just for him to just tend, take care, look after everything that I have made. But it all turned out not to be exactly what God expected, what God told Adam. Somewhere, everything went south. Why? Because man's way collided with God's way. You know, like, I remember the teaching pastor taught us about the cross. When our way, you know, crosses God's way, immediately you have a cross. You know, and it's noteworthy to see that from that scripture, Adam and Eve were completely naked and they had no shame. So you see, God, it kind of tells you God's mindset concerning man from, from the beginning. But when man fell, there became the awareness of the nakedness of man. And I mean, chapter 3, man, what did man do? He took um, fig leaves and he sewed a, a garment for himself. But what did God do in response to that? God said, Mm-mm. God took an animal and made a garment of skin for, for, for man. That already tells you man's, God's mindset as well. Then man was trying to cover up something that was superficial, the external, but the glory of God had departed from man. So what, 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 did, what did God do? For God to relate with man, because what man was treating was on the superficial, on the external, but what the real issue was, was on the internal. It was a sin issue. And God cannot stand sin. God cannot stand iniquity. So what did God do? He took an animal, he made skins for, for Adam and his wife. But ultimately, God was sorting out something even more important than making skins for the man and the woman. And you will see from scripture in uh, Leviticus 17, 11, this tells us, you know, um, the mindset of God. It says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you for making atonement for your lives on the altar. For as the life, it is the blood that makes atonement. The blood makes atonement. Another verse of the scripture 
that supports that says in Hebrews 9, verse 22, says, In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there was no forgiveness. There was no forgiveness. So that gives you a better mindset on what God was trying to achieve. Something had to be done. Man had fallen. Glory had departed. Man cannot come to God because God cannot stand iniquity. Even though man felt that his own issue was more of a superficial outward nakedness. So what did God do? God took an animal, maybe a lamb, I don't know. Killed. There had to be a sacrifice. So that the stench of man's flesh will not repulse him to the point of destroying man. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So from that very first part of the scripture, we can see readily that God's way is the way of atonement. So if you're writing, you write God's way is the way of atonement that leads to forgiveness. God's way is the way of atonement. Man had sinned. Man tried to cover his shame with fig leaves. God said, no. You can't fix this thing on the superficial. I would make a sacrifice myself that will be that will make you more pleasing to me and when i'm done i will cover your superficial so at least you can walk without the feeling of guilt or condemnation so god's way is the way of atonement that leads to forgiveness of sin okay going forward the man began to procreate then came Cain and Abel, the first set of children in the history of mankind. And from, from their experience, we also can learn something about God's way. What can we learn? Cain brought the sacrifice. Abel brought the sacrifice. The word of the Lord tells us from Genesis 4, chapter 4, verse 3 to 5. It says, after some time, Cain brought some of his harvest and gave it as an offering to the Lord. Then Abel brought the first lamb. Everybody say first lamb. The first lamb that was born to a sheep. What did he do with it? He killed it. And he gave the best part of it as an offering. What happened? It pleased God. The Lord was pleased with Abel and his offering. Verse 5 says, but Cain and his offering, God rejected you know, it reminds me of, I think three weeks ago we were talking about the tithe. Really, if it's not a collusion of God's way with man's way, man shouldn't really struggle when it comes to tithing. Because Abel and Cain knew nothing about the law. They knew nothing about Malachi that people refer to and try to pick holes in. They knew nothing about first fruits. But something told Abel that you know what? You can nurture your animal for this long. Use the very best of that animal to honor God. But what did Cain do? Cain just brought his own, maybe hurriedly, I don't know. Again, it's easy to glaze through the scriptures and maybe sometimes form an opinion or judge these guys. But the fact is that one of them was being led by one principle. And that principle is the principle of God. And that is the way of honor. So number two, God's way is the way of honor. So what made God accept Abel's sacrifice and reject Cain's 
sacrifice was honored because Abel honored God, but Cain. So how did God address Cain, you know, on his way? Because then it became a, 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 an issue of Cain's way versus God's way. How did God address Abel? The Bible tells us in verse, from verse 6 that the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Obviously, after accepting his brother and rejecting him, Cain became, you know, upset. So he says, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is to have you and you must rule over it. What was Cain's response? God is saying, Cain, this is my way. What was Cain's response? Verse 8. Now, Cain said to his brother, Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were there in the field, Cain attacked his brother and killed him. God always shows us his way. So here you see the first premeditated murder. Because it's not like it was an accident. They went out to the field and they were playing. And, and, and Abel says, after all, God, accept your sacrifice. Come, let me break your head. No. He said, come, let me go and kill you. Man's way versus God's way. Praise the Lord. What was God's response to Cain's murder? Verse 15 tells us, But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark. Everybody say mark. On Cain. So that no one who found him will kill him. It's God. What happened there was that Cain began to whine after God cursed him. Now you have cursed me. Anybody that finds me will kill me with this. God says, you know what? Your way is not my way. My way is the way of mercy. So number three, God's way is the way of mercy. God's way is the way of mercy. God's way is the way of mercy. Next stop, Noah and the ark. Noah and the ark. What was God's way? What way did God choose? And what way did man choose? When you read from Genesis 5, Genesis 6, pardon me, from verse 5. I'm cutting a lot of scriptures, but you can read the entire chapter. It says, The Lord observed that the extent of man's wickedness on earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry. Everybody says sorry. Imagine the creator of the heavens and the earth being sorry. He had ever made them, that's man, and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. Do you know what is breaking God's heart right now? Do you know God's way? You know when I ask the question, do you know what is breaking God's heart? Is your prayer, your regular prayer, is, is it God break my heart for the things that breaks yours? Something is breaking God's heart right now as we are all here. Something is breaking his heart. Who knows to do or to, to attend to what is breaking God's heart? So we can see from that scripture that man made God sorry. Man's way was, was so wicked to the point that it made God emotional. You know, scholars call, call that anthropopathic. It, it's, it's using 
um, um, a human emotional feeling to address a deity, anthropopathic. The God was emotional to the, to the point that his heart was breaking. But we see that one man stood out. One man was probably praying, God, break my heart for the thing that breaks yours. And that man was Noah. So Noah stood out by God's grace, of course. He stood out from the entire world. Because the Bible says at that time that Noah was the only one that was considered blameless. You know, and that can really relate to us in the world we live in today. The world is consistently trying to get you into its mode. You know, in, in your place of work, your, your, your mode of parenting, you know, your relationships. The world wants to break you into its mode, form you into what the world wants you to be. But not Noah. Noah stood out. And from Genesis, if we read from Genesis 6, I read from verse 9 to 22 real quickly as well. I probably will skip some. Some details there. He says, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man and the only blameless person living on the face of the earth at the time. And he walked in close fellowship with God. Everybody say fellowship. There, you already see God's way as well. Fellowship with God. Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world for everyone on earth. (laughs) Everyone on earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all creatures. For they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth. Build a large boat of cypress wood and waterproof it with tar. And then God gave him the schematics of how he should build the boat. Fast forward to 17. 17. God says, look, I am about to cover the earth with a boat, with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die, but I will confirm my covenant. Interestingly, this is the first time covenant is mentioned in the Bible. So you can call it Noahic covenant. That was the covenant God was saying after I destroy the earth, there will be rainbow, no more destruction of the earth with water and so on and so forth. So enter the both. You and your wife and your sons and, your, and their wives. Bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male and a female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. Verse 20, pairs of every kind of bird and every kind of animal and every kind of small animal that scurries along the ground. What will happen to them? It says, they will come to you to be kept alive. God was saying to Noah that animals would obey me and come to you. Be sure to take on board every food for your family and all the animals. Verse 22, which is ultimately important. So Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. Everything exactly as God had commanded him. God was saying to Noah that all the animals will obey you. How come God did not say, and men will come to you to put them in the boat? That already tells you that man has maybe some, some esteem issues. Man has, I mean, the, what is the problem with man? So what's the significance of, 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 of God saying 
Animals will obey you. And he didn't mention that man will come and obey, obey um, Noah to go into the boat. I don't know if Noah went around evangelizing because it wasn't stated explicitly. But God had the power to speak to someone else the same way he spoke to Noah to build the ark. To tell the person, you know what? I'm about to destroy the world. Go and look for Mr. Noah. Save yourself. Save your family. God has that power, right? He does. You know, God could speak to animals to come. Same today. Today you see men. How come? And you know, if you think about animals, the, the, the scientists tell tells us that chimpanzees, they have 99% of our DNA. So it means that chimpanzees are just a little lower than us. They're smart. But I've never seen a chimpanzee say, you know what? I want to go and add to my bum bum, you know? Or a chimpanzee chasing another male chimpanzee, and so on and so forth. So what's the problem with man? What's the problem with man? So, from Genesis 6, verse 22, the Bible says that Noah did everything that the Lord commanded him to do. So, number four, God's way is the way of total obedience. Noah didn't question anything. And it's similar to the next patriarch that we will talk about. In Genesis 7, verse 1, we learn that God called Abraham from his father's house. God seized the initiative to invite him. And that invitation is usually given to people that are totally surrendered to God. Totally. You know? So, an earnest submission and resolve to obey God, regardless of the cost, usually makes us eligible for his personal invitation. That was Abraham. That was Abraham. For the same reason God did not call the men that he destroyed. He probably knew, and I don't know, I'm not God, that if I called this they would logicalize, they won't do it. But for Abraham, the, 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 the Bible tells us, God told him, leave your father's house now. Abraham left. In Genesis 12, 1, same thing. The Bible says, leave your country, your family, your father's home for a land I will show you. This man didn't even know where he was going. So that means he was going to walk blindly. He was going to walk blindly. So, the calling of Abraham, even though God didn't speak explicitly, and his obedience to that calling made him eligible for the covenant. You know, and pastor has done a lot of justice on Abraham and the significance of the Abrahamic covenant and how we are spiritual Jews, and that's just awesome. So if, you, if, you're, not, if you're here for, I mean, join us for the first time, you probably want to get our CDs or download the podcast on the teaching called Silver and Gold. But if you've been coming, you already know um, what we are referring to you know and when god says go you know and god and man obeys there's usually you know god god backs it up for abraham it was a covenant that was unbreakable or unbreachable even till dates that you enjoy from similar to god's house you know god called one man go and he he did go and where are you today where are you today I thought you'd be excited about that. So God still calls people today. So what is God calling you to do? What is he calling me to do? I want to try, I try to imagine if Abraham had not gone, if Abraham had not heeded that call, what would have happened? Or maybe if Abraham had heeded the call with skepticism, say, let me just go and see. I'll go as far as, you know, 
Canaan. The Bible says Abraham passed through Canaan, right? He, he went to Bethel, he went to the Negev, he went to Egypt, he even came back the, the same way. This time when he came back, he was fully loaded. Abraham had become a very big boy. You know, but what did he do? Even though he had become a very big boy, he went back the same way, the Negev and Bethel. The first thing Abraham did, the Bible tells us, Genesis 13, 4, this was the same place Abraham or Abraham had built the altar and there he worshipped God. Abraham had become a big boy, so to speak. But Abraham had not lost his trust in God. Abraham had not substituted his trust for God, for his trust in wealth. So number five, God's way is the way of trust. God's way is the way of trust. And you know, like they say, old habits never die. Abraham was used to worship. He was fantastic with worship. He had built an altar on his way. Coming back with all that loadedness, so to speak, Abraham should remember to say, That's very instructive for us. When you had nothing, you will fast and pray. When they call video, you are there. The moment pastor says, V, you have completed your, the deal with your appearance. You know, God will do it again. You are coasting. In fact, before they started coasting, you started coasting three weeks ago. When people see you, it's something you fall. <laughs> you know? But now, loadedness is fast again. Ah, you just fast, fast, fast. Don't you do anything other than fast, these people. <laughs> trust. Trust. Everybody say trust. 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 So why God's way is the way of trust? Man's way predominantly, the way of the flesh predominantly, is a way of skepticism. And a good way, you know, to observe, a good, one of, another good story from Abraham's story, to observe the, the way of skepticism is, is the story of Lot, even that is embedded in Abraham's story. And Genesis 13 from verse 10 tells us, Lot looked around and he noticed the grassy plain in the Jordan Valley looked very well watered and fertile, just as he imagined the eternal garden, eternal one's garden might be. That's the garden of Eden. He knew the land of Egypt in the direction of Zohar to be. This all happened before the eternal destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose to settle his family on the plains of Jordan Valley and he journeyed eastward. This is how Abraham and Lot separated from each other. This is how they separated from each other and established two different households. What had happened here? There, Abraham had come back. Lot was as wealthy, or not exactly as wealthy. Lot was wealthy. Abraham was very wealthy as well. And they, there was bickering between their households, between their servants. And Abraham says, let us separate. Let us separate. And what, what, what happened there? Maybe I should leave that question to you. So what would you have done if you were Lot? Because Lot, immediately Abraham says, let's separate. You choose. I choose that one. What would you have done? Let's have maybe two people or three people contribute. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. If it was you, you had an Abraham. You had a Lot. God forbid nobody here is Lot in Jesus' name. I know all of you want to be Abraham. But it's hypothesis. You had and Abraham. And he says, see, let us choose now. What would you have done? Who wants to go? Who wants to be vulnerable? What would you have done? 
Okay. Pastor Yobami. Can we see another hand or two? Let's put up our hands so that we can manage our time. Pastor Yobami, one. Are you putting up your hand? <laughs> That's a baby. Who knows? He might have an answer. <laughs> okay. Um, ideally, Abraham should have chosen first. Okay. So if you have an Abraham, it should be you choose first, sir, and I will take what is last. Thank you very much. Home training. It's called everybody's home training. <laughs> home training. It's called home training. Is there anybody here that has a different response? Honestly, what would you have done? Okay. Let have the mic. Okay. In all honesty, I'm going to say it like I was asked to share with my sibling. Now, the way we were brought up, the older one shares, the younger one picks first. Mm. That's how I was brought up. So if... <laughs> <laughs> Do you understand? I was brought up that way too. When they tell, give us food, uh, my older brother will share the meat, you know, and tell the younger one to choose, but there's an eye that's telling to choose. Ex- exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I, I will most likely pick as Lot did. But I will know that I will, I will know in my heart that I will have to share at some point. Mm. Yes. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Okay, thank you very much for being honest with us. Thank you very much. We appreciate honesty. Now, choosing like Lot really is choosing man's way according to the flesh. You know, like Pastor Abami actually said, you know, the Abraham actually brought you up. If he says choose, now you should say choose choose sir you know what some of us will say let me let me pray about it first <laughs> you know but really if that's what it needs perhaps if lot had prayed about it god would, probably, would most likely have given him uh, a direction because choosing the lot way is, is an erroneous way to choose because choosing lot ways is the judging by the sight of the eyes is the judging by the by, by the hearing of the ears is the judging by the by the fancy, it's the, same, it's the same choice that Eve made that got her and her husband into trouble. You know, because you, you cannot always choose by the way you feel about things. I feel, I feel, no. There, there, has, to be, there has to be a direction to, to choosing. There has to be a direction to choosing. You know, and um, we have a short video that we hope we'll drive on the point of choosing we'll take it up from there
man, sir. See the toiling just for a drop of water. Meanwhile, God is saying, I have an oasis right on the other side. See the way he built an institution. Also, he has very industrious energy, you know, constructed. And that just really epitomizes the way we live life. We want to toil when God has given us grace. You know, but not Abraham. Abraham really could have said, Lord, you know what? I will choose Sodom and Gomorrah. I like the plains, those ones you see, that lovely place. Lord, you stay here. Because the Bible says that the, the Canaanite still dwells in the land. So, of, of course, not just Abraham didn't just have lots to contend with. He had the Canaanites that were also grubbing from that grass. You know, but Abraham trusted that the God that has brought me this far, if this guy were to choose God will sort me out. And what happened after Lot had lived? God said, Abraham, look up from where you are right now. Everywhere you see, including Lot's own land, Abraham is your own. Hallelujah. God is just amazing. And what the Lord tells us in Romans 4, verse, from verse 1, in the message version of the Bible. So how do we fit in what we know of Abraham, our first father in the faith? into his new way of looking at things. If Abraham, by what he did for God, got God to approve of him, or approve him, he would certainly have taken credit for it. But the story we are given is a God story, not an Abraham story. What we read in scripture is Abraham entered into what God was doing for him. And that was the turning point of Abraham's life. He entered into what God was doing. He did what? He trusted God to set him right instead of trying to be right on his own. So God's way is the way of trust. Hallelujah. Okay, moving on. The story of Joseph. Joseph was a favorite amongst 12 children. Joseph had a remarkable gift of dreams. He also appeared to be what our people would call a tatafu, you know, an amebo. It's the one that used to report everything that happens in the house, you know? <laughs> so that caused him to fall out of favor um, with, his, with his brothers. So as the story goes, Joseph was eventually sold off to Egypt. He ever found favor as a slave. He was sold, but he found favor. He was a slave from slavery. He found favor. He was jailed. Why? Let's see why Joseph was jailed. We know the story, but I love to read the story again. Genesis 7, Genesis 39, pardon me, from 7. It says, Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Obviously, this was a fine boy, 17-year-old boy. And she said, come and sleep with me. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held me back nothing or rather he has held nothing from me except you because you are his wife how could i and this is the sweet part how could i do such a wicked thing it would be a great sin against my god let's stop there yeah you see you know joseph had been sold into slavery the Bible says it was 17 years. I think the Bible records when it was 17 years when he got to um, Egypt. And before he became a prime, when he became a prime minister, he was how old, 30, I think. And the Bible records that Joseph 
spent two years before he was called to become a prime minister because the Bible says two years after the, he had interpreted that dream, you know, was when Pharaoh called him to interpret his own dream and he became a prime minister. So are you following? Give and take or give or take. Joseph may have been three years in jail. Let's say the, the dreams didn't happen immediately got to jail. He got to Egypt when he was 17. So that means Joseph would have spent roughly 15 years or 14 years in his master's house before this incident happened. He was a slave, yet Joseph was still talking about God. He was still saying, I don't want to offend my God. What God? Where was the God when you were being sold into slavery? When your brothers almost killed you? But not Joseph. Joseph still trusted that God. Joseph still trusted that God. So we see here that even though Joseph was wrongfully accused, even though his brothers tried to kill him, even though he was jailed, this Joseph still had the ability to preach about this is God. He still had the ability to preach about this is God. He still trusted his God enough. And that is the principle or our, our God's way number six. God's way is the way of integrity and faithfulness. God's way is the way of integrity and faithfulness. Joseph had his integrity intact. No question about that. Tempted. No question about that. The Bible says there that the wife of Potiphar tempted him day by day. <laughs> day after day. And like Pastor has explained, the wives of generals are, you know, naturally beautiful. You know, because general will not marry one wife. So I can imagine what Miss Potiphar would have looked like. <clears throat> so not only did Joseph's integrity and his faithfulness make a way for him, it made a way for generations to come. Because I tried to imagine if Joseph had given him, perhaps Israel would have died of famine. When I mean Israel, every other person that came from Israel afterward to live in Egypt in a time of famine, they probably would have died because Joseph would have remained, who knows, Potiphar's senior slave. You know, a loaded slave, but a slave. There will always be a clause. The loaded slave. Forever. But his integrity and his faithfulness got him into the jail where God had a different plan for him. So your integrity, if your integrity and your faithfulness seems to be taking you to jail, please, my brother, my sister, go to the jail. God has a palace waiting for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. So next up, we pick into Exodus. The aftermath of Joseph's faithfulness and integrity. Um, Exodus 1, 11, I'll read that real quickly. It says that, the Egyptian authorities enslaved the Israelites and appointed cruel slave drivers over them to oppress them with hard, back-breaking labor. They forced them to build storage cities, Python and Ramesses for Pharaoh. So here we see another story of bondage. Israel was in bondage. How? What had happened is that Joseph had died. The Bible tells us in Exodus 1 verse 8 that a new king had come and this king did not know about Joseph or all that transpired between his ancestor and Israel in the past. So he put them in 
in imprisonments and stocks and chains and oppression until these guys cried out to God in Exodus 22:23 and 24. Exodus 2:23 and 24. We won't read it now because of time. So what was God's response to their cry? God's response to their cry was, raise up Moses, equip Moses, tell Moses, go deliver my people. The question now is, why didn't God just automatically go by himself, you know? Just send chariots of fire, you know, send angels, carry the Israelites, slap everybody in Egypt, kill Pharaoh, kill his armies, and take them, dump them in, in um, Canaan. Why didn't God do that? Because God could have done that, couldn't he? Couldn't he? Who doubts that? He could have done that. He could have done that. But God had to prepare them. God had to take them through a preparation process. God always takes us through a preparation process. You know, it takes us a preparation process from the promise to the final outcome. Check your life. It's a repeated pattern. Check. It's a repeated pattern. It will always take you. It will tell you what it wants to do. Then it will help you prepare. You know, and I remember vividly an illustration that Pastor, I mean, gave to me years ago when I was dealing with, I think I call it, it's a Hebrew language, a panic attack. It's not panic attack. I was, I don't know what to call it. I was, not like things were going badly for me, but I just felt some, you know, spirit of inadequacy. You know, I felt that I could do more. I didn't like the way things were going. And I shared it with him. Even, I mean, I don't know if I was scary, but I was very emotional. And he's, 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 he shared an analogy with me of what happens when people climb Mount Everest. How they go from ground level, they climb it in stages, and as they get to every stage, you know, every summit, their lungs would have expanded for the climbing process. So that by the time they eventually get to the peak, their body is already well equipped to stand at the peak. And the most profound statement he said to me is that if they were to pick you up with a chopper, I don't know if a chopper would survive that you know, altitude, and picked you from ground level and dropped you on Mount Everest, you would die in no time because your lungs have not acclimatized to the peak. And that just set me free. That set me free. So life is always in stages. It's like, it's like um, if uh, a, a husband and wife that become, the wife becomes pregnant. God gives them nine months of preparation time to be parents. It's like a farmer that sows a seed. God gives them, I don't know how long it takes for seed. Maybe Pastor K can I help us if he's here? Yeah, that's Pastor K. How long it takes for corn to become, corn seed to become corn crop or yam to become yam crop or, or cucumber. I don't know. But there has to be a preparation time. You till your fallow ground, you know, sow the seeds, nurture the seeds before it becomes harvest. You sell it, hammer has come, you know, feed your family. But there's always a preparation time. Always a preparation time. Now, we're recurring or reoccurring um, theme in the book of Exodus that we're looking at now was holiness. God kept on hammering on holiness. Hammering on holiness. That tells us that God God's way is a holy way. So God's way is holy. You can put that down and we'll continue. God's way is a holy way. God's way is holy. So God has called Egypt, has called Israel out of Egypt to live a life that is set apart. God had promised the land to Abraham, their forefather, 
but it was, ni- um, it was time for them to possess the land. But before they possessed the land, God kept on taking them through a process, telling them, consecrate yourself, set yourself apart over and over again. He was going to give them the Ten Commandments. He told Moses, tell them, sanctify yourselves now. Even to all the men, don't <clears throat> with your wife. You know, he just kept on giving them precept upon precept on how to approach his presence. So I read a definition that I, I kind of really liked. It says that, it says, holiness is having spiritual pure quality. Holiness is having spiritual pure quality. It's not just a physical thing. It's from the inside. It's spiritual pure quality. And I liked that um, definition. So God wanted people to have a proper mindset before they entered into Canaan. He wanted them not to be like the people that they were going to meet in Canaan. And in Exodus 19, from verse 10, it says that the Lord said, told Moses, go down and prepare the people. Go down and prepare the people. They should wash their clothing. They should do thus, 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 because he was about to come down and meet them. And pastor has explained this part. They didn't want to meet with God because they felt terrified with all the drama, the mountain shaking, blasting, thunder. They said, no, Moses, hear for us. When you hear, come and tell us. You be our mediator. We don't, we don't do holiness. Moses, you are holy. You go. You know? But God had no problem with that. He still told, gave, told Moses to encourage them. Be holy. Sanctify yourself. Set yourself apart. Pastor has done extensive justice to that. So I won't even delve into that. If you are not here when he did um, those teachings, Van Gogh series, buy the CD or download the podcast. So advance, to advance into the promised land, God not only gave them laws on how they would conduct, them, conduct themselves in the promised land, God called them to live their lives set apart. You can, I mean, Deuteronomy um, 12, 29, you can read it on your own, Numbers 20, 12 as well. In essence, we see God breaking people free from Egypt, from bondage that characterized their lives. We know the story. We see God take them, even though they complained in, on, in every step. They complained about there's no food like Egypt food. There's no water like Egypt water. There's no party like Egypt party, you know. They kept on complaining. Even though God was taking them from bondage into freedom. So God's way, or God's way is the way of freedom. Write that down. God's way is the way of freedom. God's way is the way of freedom. And something happened along the way. Why they kept on complaining? They caused the man that carried the vision, Moses, to stumble and sin. How? Numbers 12, 12, 20, 12. He says, but the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land I'm giving them. What happened? Their whining and their complaining caused Moses so to speak, to sin. When God told him to speak to the rock over there, Moses went there, struck the rock in a, in a fit of anger and said, must we give you water from this rock? Anger came up, pride came up because of people. What is the significance of this? The significance is that we are responsible for the visions that we have been given. When God gives you a vision, you are responsible for it. You are responsible for the vision that you carry. You see, God will hold you 
accountable for you, not for your wife. The husband that does not do what he needs to do will not say, it is the wife that you gave me like Adam. The husband that does not bring up his child in the way of the Lord. The Bible says that God was saying to Abraham, he will command his household after me. The husband has no excuse of saying, it's because of my wife that I did not do my job. And neither does the wife say, because my husband was an egoistic man or arrogant, that is why I did not fulfill my purpose. You are accountable for your own calling. Praise the Lord. And remember that God is holy. God is holy. So anger is not an excuse. Selfishness is not an excuse. Self-centeredness is not an excuse. Unforgiveness, resentment, all those things that the world causes us to want to get ourselves entangled with are not an excuse because you are accountable. God is holy. The holy God will not tolerate those things. And I remember pastor saying that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping that the person that you are unforgiving towards will die. Who's accountable? You are accountable. I am accountable. And the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament tells us about analogy after analogy after analogy on how, you know, God was showing us his ways. From, from Moses, you move to Joshua. Joshua tells us that God's way is a way of courage. So you can write that down. God's way is the way of courage. God's way is the way of courage. The Bible was telling Joshua, Joshua 1, read from verse 6 to 9, told him, be courageous. Kept on telling him, be courageous. After that, God gave them judges. The judges also showed us God's way. After the judges, they came the kings. After the kings, they were the prophets. Or rather, in between the kings and the judges, they were prophets. And even after that, they were taken to slavery, they had prophets. And Romans 15 verse 4 tells us the voice version. Interesting read. You see, everything written in the days of old was recorded to give us instructions for living. We find encouragement through the scriptures and a call to persevere. To perseverance that will produce hopeful living. Everything that we read was given to us to instruct us on how we should live our lives. So God's way is deliberate. We started with Abraham. And we can, one other thing we can pick up from Abraham's relationship with God is that, I've said that, pick up from Abraham's analogy is that God's way is a way of relationship. God's way is a way of relationship. God wants to have a relationship with us. God is not, you know, not, not a religion. Man is, why man is religious, God is more relationally bound. Now, there's, why there's nothing really wrong with being religious? Because men actually need um, um, religion. We need a fundamental set of beliefs that will guide us. So religion is not necessarily a bad thing. But God desires more of a relationship than us being religious. Even though we need religion to, you know, as our fundamental, I mean, set of principles that guides our beliefs. And govern us as a body. But what God really wants from us is a relationship. And that is what he wanted with Adam. He would come down in the cool of the evening and walk with Adam. Because he wanted a relationship. If God didn't want a relationship, why else will he send Jesus? To redeem us. To come in flesh and in blood. That's how relational as God can be. 
And what did Jesus teach us? He taught us many, many amazing ways of God. And if you see from Galatians 5, Jesus, through his spirit, speaking through Paul, was telling us that God is, God's way is the way of love. You, don't write, you can write that in the margins, but that's not uh, number 11 and 12. That's something else. But from Galatians 5, we find that God's way is the way of love. God's way is the way of peace. Galatians 5, we know that scripture, right? The spirit of the Lord produces this fruit, love, peace. God's way is the way of patience. It's the way of kindness. It's the way of goodness. It's the way of gentleness. God's way is the way of self-control. Ultimately, God's way is the way of sacrifice. You can write that down. God's way is the way of sacrifice. That's what Jesus came for. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. And number 12, God's way is the way of rest. My, one of my favorite chapters of the scripture in the entire Bible is Exodus 33. Because I loved the way Moses was engaging God. And I'll read briefly an exchange of Moses' um, conversation with God. Verse 12 from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. It says, Moses said to the Lord, See, you have said to me, bring up these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, if I have found favor in your sight, Lord, show me your ways. Moses was saying to God, show me your ways. Everybody says, show me your ways. So that I may know you and find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. He said, God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not carry us from here. Do not carry us from here. So you see, Moses was not asking. No, Moses was asking out of the ordinary. He wasn't just asking for the ordinary. Moses wasn't satisfied with knowing the acts of God. Moses wanted to know the ways of God so that he could align with the ways of God. He wanted to know what God was thinking, where God was going to go. And, and we know the psalmist says that he, he made known his ways. God answered that prayer. He made known his ways unto Moses and his acts unto the children of Israel. What are you more concerned about? God's ways or God's acts? Which, which, which do you settle more for? Are you, or God bless me? And again, we'll always put a disclaimer, or rather, a clause on it. Why there's nothing wrong with God bless me? But do we want to live our whole lives with God bless me? How about, Lord, you know, the Bible says that God will not hide his secrets from his servants, his prophets. Before something happens, God has shown it to you. Before he does something, he has shown it to you. Before you go for that meeting, he already tells you what's going to be the outcome of the meeting. So that when it eventually happens, even if, it's, if, if, it's, if it was not going your way, you have the opportunity to negotiate. There are times when you negotiate with God and God will say, enough. God told Moses once upon a time, enough. Shut up. And what did Moses do? But when you don't know his ways, when God is saying shut up, you don't even know he's saying shut up. You're just going. <laughs> you know, but Moses prayed to know God's way. But guess what? God was saying to Moses, not only will I show you my way, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. And Jesus pursued that rest for us. Every one of us said, yeah, Jesus pursued that rest for you. He, he came into, you know, he came into the world and he said, if you are burdened, come, I'll give you rest. Matthew, Matthew 11, 28, it's on your outline already. 
Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Jesus was saying, come to me if you are weary, I will give you rest. I read from 29. It says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. You will find rest for your weary souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Burden I give you is light. So we have an image of yoking. I like us to put that image even as we continue to discuss this. My yoke is light. What Jesus was saying is this is what I want to do for you. Come, let's wear the same color together. You know, and I love pastor's illustration. illustration. Everybody say, God bless pastor. Uh-uh. Say, God bless pastor. You know, for the first time, I heard an illustration about the yoke I never heard before. And I searched for a diagram as well. Put up the next diagram. This is what God actually does for us. This is what Jesus did for us. The yoke causes these two animals to, 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 I mean, to till the land. But one of them is actually the stronger animal, while the other one is the weaker animal. So the, 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 the weight is not spread across both of them evenly. More of the weight tends to the one that is stronger. So you're just basically carrying the other guy along for balancing. That's what God is doing for you. That's what he's doing for every one of us. Sometimes it seems like you're carrying 120 kg. You're saying God is heavy. This is my calling is heavy. Actually, probably God is carrying 2,000 more kgs for you. But he's giving you the one that is enough. He knows that is enough for you. And that is just so beautiful. That's just so beautiful. Beautiful. You know, and interestingly, God's house turned seven years in a few days. In a few days. I thought you'd be excited about that. Seven years, you know, and seven years divine, divine perfection. Well, I not divine perfection, but guess what? Remarkably, seven is also a number for rest. God rested on the seventh day. So, God is saying to us as a church, Enter my rest. You have been toiling, you know, you, you walk. For some of us, we walk tirelessly, we're not seeing results. God is saying, Enter into my rest. For some of us, we are anxious. Some of us, we, everything is working. Interesting, there are some people that everything is going too good that they are afraid. Why, how come everything is just so good? God is saying, enter into my rest. You are grieving. God, why me? God is saying, enter into my rest. Rest, not because you are weary. Rest because God has made rest for your enjoyment. Because he has made it for your enjoyment. God has made rest for our enjoyment. It's time for rest. It's time for rest. So, if you're here and you're in some kind of toiling, I don't know what the toiling is. The solution is easy. Find God's way and you find your rest. Because when you find God's way, what do you do? You yoke yourself with God's way. God carries the majority of the body. What do you need to carry? The small part of the body. For you, your own finding of God's way may be you finding integrity. It may be you finding faithfulness. It may be you finding love or trust. Maybe for you, you you need to find courage. But find God's way. Don't stay with discouragement. Don't stay with skepticism. Don't stay. Find God's way. There is a God's way for that's your way. There's a God's way for your way. 
And if we, if we throw the question open, I'm sure we'll be able to come up with 20 or 30 or 40 more God's ways that we did not outline tonight. If, if it applies to you, the essence is making correction. Find God's way. Find God's way. Yoke yourself with that God's way. And you will find rest. Hallelujah. So we'll end with this scripture. Hebrews 4.3 in the NIV version of the Bible says, For we also had had the good news proclaimed to us. Just as they did. Talking about the people of old. But the message they heard was of no value to them. May God not allow his message be valueless to you in the name of Jesus. He says, why? Because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Abraham had people in his time. They didn't share Abraham's faith. Noah had people in his time when God was destroying the world. They didn't share his faith. There were many other Josephs. As a matter of fact, Joseph had two brothers, right? That were poised with the same opportunity to, to, to exemplify integrity, but they failed. Reuben slept with his father's wife. Judah <laughs> grabbed his daughter-in-law. But not Joseph. They did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Verse 3. Now we who have believed enter the rest. Hallelujah. Because you have believed. Just as God has said. So I declare an oath in my anger. They shall not enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. So today there's an invitation. Let's bow our heads and bow our hearts. And focus on God. I don't know what you have heard. I don't know what the Spirit is saying to you. But this is an invitation. An invitation for anyone outside his rest to come into that rest today, tonight. To come into that rest tonight. You are here and you know that Jesus is not the Lord and the Master of your life. Your life is characterized by toiling because you don't even have Jesus. There's no peace. Why not enter into his rest today? Why not put up your hands and we'll pray with you and invite you in? You're here and you know. Oh, Jesus used to be the Lord and the master of your life. You used to have rest, but not anymore. All that rest is gone. Why? Because you came out from his rest. You began to follow the world more than Jesus. Put up your hands and we'll pray with you and invite you back in. Jesus is waiting. Put up your hand if you're here. If that is you. If that is you. Amen. I want to pray with some people. If you're here and you're going through what can be characterized by toil, as toiling, why not put up your hands to heaven and we'll all pray together. You're toiling, you're struggling with something heavy in your heart. Put up your hands to heaven, both hands to heaven, to God. Just lift it up by faith to God. And we'll pray. Put up both hands to heaven and we'll pray. To our God that lightens the yoke. Lord Jesus, because your word says, come unto me everyone that is burdened and heavy laden and you will grant them rest. Tonight, by faith, your children put up their hands to you to signify surrender. We ask that you lift up that burden. Take their finite earthly hands and place it in your infinite heavenly hands. And let them find rest, Lord. In Jesus' name.
gracious name we pray. Amen. Let's put our hands together for the Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this. I want to encourage you to share this resource with your family and friends. God bless you.